Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 5 through 21. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, and our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, well, they're just filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I am going to say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy and I will show, show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I was remembering uh, last night as uh, the layperson who read the scripture uh, got up to read that uh, in my first appointment where I had been an intern before, uh, each year Pentecost happens right in, in May and typically we, we did this year, we read this at Pentecost. I do recognize that this is not Pentecost Sunday. I just want to be clear about that. I figure some people might wonder. But the other thing that we did was kind of mean a little bit is that we would give this passage to a brand new intern for like their second Sunday. And I'm telling you, Patrick did an amazing job. Those are not easy words to read. And um, I, I had forgotten about that until last night. And I remember when I was the new intern and I got to read those on my first Sunday and just did the best job ever. Um, <laughs> um, so I do know that this is not Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we are in a, in a series working through uh, parts of the book of Acts as we talk about unity and as we address um, unity in our congregation as the United Methodist Church approaches in February a called General Conference uh, where we will talk about um, how we work together or how we don't work together. Um, and one of the things that we wanted to address here was how are we as a congregation going to be uh, the church that God calls us to uh, in unity? So the sermon today is going to go like this. Uh, anytime there's a hard topic and Jesus asks a question, he usually tells a parable or asks a question. So I'm going to tell parables and ask questions. 
um, because I figure why not. So we're going to talk about three parables today. Uh, and in the midst of the three parables, I'm going to share a little bit of thoughts around this Acts passage. Uh, the first two parables written by an Irish theologian named Pete Rollins. Uh, Pete Rollins uh, writes quite a bit, and, and his parables have helped elicit um, just some, some deeper thinking about the way God works in the world. And then the third uh, parable that I'll share is from Mahatma Gandhi. And my hope is that these three parables frame our discussion around a topic that's not easy. Unity amidst diversity. Trying to stay together when not all of us agree. Uh, wondering what it's like to serve Christ in a world when it's not always clear where we're going. So how about we pray together and then we'll get into it. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this space and this place and this time. We thank you for a word that challenges us and reminds us that you are still at work in this world. And that you have in fact called the church to be the way that you witness to your love, even though sometimes, maybe even a lot of times, we don't get it right. We pray that today this story in the book of Acts will speak to us, that we might hear your word for us this day. It is my prayer, O oh God, that you would speak through me, and if necessary, in spite, speak, O oh God, that we might hear your word for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in the middle of town, there was a cathedral. It was a magnificent cathedral, beautiful, and everyone knew where this cathedral was in the middle of town. They knew it because they knew the priest. He had been there what seemed like forever, and he prayed every day in the vestry, and everyone knew that if you went by the cathedral, you were welcome. Strangers became neighbors, and neighbors who thought they were strangers were actually neighbors, and anyone that came through the doors of the cathedral were met with love and compassion and hope. The priest loved his work. He loved the fact that each day he had the opportunity to share the love of a God that, that loved him so much and that, that he loved so much. Even though some days were long days, I mean, some days they were just tough. Other days, there was so much beauty and joy in his work. This particular story happened towards winter. You know how in the middle of winter, the, the nights seem like they're super long and the days seem like they're super short. It feels like it gets dark at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and when is the sun ever coming back? That day the priest was praying in the, in the vestry and heard this loud knock on the door. It's kind of an ominous knock. He went to the door and he opened it and when he did, he, he looked straight but then he had to look up because there was this large demon at the door. It was vicious looking and he asked, and the demon asked, may I come in? And the priest said, well of course, everybody is welcome here. And he opened the door to the cathedral and the demon came in and he began to tear up some of the icons and he tore up some of the pyramids. All the while the priest sat and prayed 
and offered any help that he might offer to the demon. It was getting late on in the evening and the priest looked at the demon and said, you know, I'm hungry, I'm going to go back to my house, which is right next door, and fix a little dinner, but you are welcome to stay, even stay the night if you like. And the demon said, well, actually, I'm hungry too. Can I? Will you welcome me into your house? And the priest said, well, of course. Of course I will. And, oh, there's plenty to eat and, and come eat with me. And he, they went next door uh, to his house and he began to fix dinner and the demon just you're not doing that right and why are you cooking this and that's not really what I wanted and, and, and who do you think you are? Nonetheless, the priest fixed the meal and he offered the demon and the demon ate and they ate. And after the dinner, the, the priest said, look, I, I've got a long day tomorrow. I've got to be at the vestry first thing in the morning. There'll be people waiting to get in and, and I want to make sure to offer them hospitality. I'm going to go to bed, but you're welcome to stay in my house. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to stay, but I have one final question. And the demon looks at the priest and says, will you welcome me into your heart? And the priest said, oh, well, I've already welcomed you into my heart. I love this place. I love this town. I love the people in it. When you came through the door, you were welcomed into my heart. We may not think alike, we may not be the same, but I love you because the grace and love of God first came to me and now I love because of that. The demon was not too happy about that answer. He got angry and stormed away and we're told that he was not seen of in those parts again. The priest went upstairs and he got ready for bed and, and got down on his knees to do his evening prayer and he said, oh God, what guise is the Christ going to take next? The reason we are looking at the book of Acts, the reason we're looking at the book of Acts for these few weeks is because the book of Acts is the place where the early church started. The reason I'm, I suggest that we look at Acts 2 today is because well, Rob started us in the middle of Acts, and I didn't know how far we wanted to go before we went back, and so I wanted to take a look again at Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, the day where the Spirit comes and hovers, the day where there's earth and, and wind and fire and all hear the Word of God. We went back to the the beginning of the book of Acts, because as one commentator states, uh, this is chapter 2 is kind of an orientation for the church. I, I don't know if this changes. Um, Annie and I were in school, in graduate school, until we started having children, and now that we have children, I pretty much think of life in semester calendar-wise. Does that ever go away? Or do we always just kind of like, I, I'm hoping that eventually like, well, September's coming, I need a syllabus. Um, <laughs> I feel like because we have kids now that we think that way too. And um, as I was thinking about this passage and I read about the commentator calling this an orientation, chapter two, an orientation for how the church works in the world, I couldn't help but think about um, school and it's September and that makes sense, right? And, and our kids all just started back. And, um, and then I got to thinking about folks that might be teachers in, in the congregation and, and how uh, when you offer a syllabus or an orientation in the first of the year, 
that by December, no one really knows what was actually on the syllabus or in the orientation. <laughs> Maybe by like October. Um, I know I always paid close attention to that. Um, and then I got to thinking a little bit about the importance of having uh, Pentecost and remembering Pentecost every year. And how, um, at least I know that I need to be reminded that God's Spirit still pours out today. And then I began to think about our topic for this, this few weeks study that we're talking about in the book of Acts. I began to think a little bit about the, the Committee on the Way Forward and this call, General Conference, that starts February 23rd for the United Methodist Church. And how maybe in preparation for whatever may or may not happen, part of what we need is a little bit of a reorientation. And I thought about that in the framework of Acts. It says that Jews from every nation were gathered in Jerusalem. Jews from every nation. And then it says that when the Spirit came, although the disciples were Galileans, they were able to speak, or at least they were heard in other languages. So that God's word was heard by all who was gathered. It seems to me that at the very least, that at the beginning of the church, God demonstrates to us the value of diversity. Now you can say, well, Luke, they were all Jews. Well, okay. We're all at Central today. Do you think we all have the same opinions about everything? I understand that this is a very difficult topic. That unity amidst diversity is not a simple thing. But I think when we look in this book, we're reminded that our God is bigger than our differences. That the story that we are a part of and that we tell and that we remember reminds us that God brought a spirit to the world that allowed people to hear the word of God in their own languages. When I think about this passage in the beginning of the book of Acts, I think it's important to see this orientation of all nations and the spoken word of God in the different languages so that we see this sets us up for, we, we talked last week about Acts 15 in the Jerusalem conference, the Judaizers and the Gentiles. And I think that this beginning sets us up so that we can be oriented in such a way that when we got to that conversation in the early church, our response was, yes, there's room for everybody. When I was reading this week, I read a, uh, some ideas around by, with, from St. Augustine. St. Augustine tells us that all love flows out of the relationship that is the Trinity. All love flows out of the relationship that is the Trinity. I feel like anytime I get to talk about the work of God in the world, I end up coming back to the Trinity. We are a relational people created in the image of a fundamentally relational God. God and God's essence is community. And the other thing I was thinking about this week is how I experience each person of the Trinity is diverse. 
how I experience God the Father, how I experience Jesus, how I experience the Spirit is diverse. And I think that it's important for us to recognize that the diversity that we experience and who God is and how we experience God shapes who we are and how we experience the world. Don't get me wrong. It is difficult when we disagree. It is difficult when we don't agree upon things and it is hard to figure out places where we can work together. But I, I really think there is something about the relational nature of our God that calls us to be in relationship with each other even if we disagree. Maybe especially if we disagree. And that takes time. It takes intentional effort. It takes recognizing the importance and valuing unity amidst diversity. Second story. There were two brothers. Um, when they were born, uh, they were blessed and that faith became an important part of both of their lives. Although they lived it out in different ways. One brother, in his faithfulness, uh, felt called to be a missionary, to be someone that lived among the least and last and the lost. He was someone that felt called to go and live in a place where, where folks didn't want to go, uh, to minister with folks that no one wanted to know or see. He felt very much called to be that type of missionary. But for him, it cost him a lot. It cost him friendships, and it cost him friendships with family. It, it cost him loved ones, and, and ultimately, it cost him his life. He, uh, he lived in the slums of, of where he served, and uh, it was a place where he could get sick really easily, and eventually that sickness was too much for his body, the, the sickness that was there, and he ended up dying, and, and he died basically alone. The second brother... He lived his life in this way. He felt very much called to have a, a family and to uh, live in a neighborhood and uh, be a part of a church. And so he did that. He went to college and, and got a degree and, and started a job and married his sweetheart from, from college. And they had a family and they lived in a neighborhood and they had, he had lots of friends. He had community uh, where he lived and he loved that community. He was loved that can be by that community. He was a part of his local church. He tithes when he could. When he died, he died in the arms of his wife with his kids surrounding him. It was a beautiful death. When they, the two brothers, uh, came to heaven, they both met God and they both were greeted by God and God gave to each of them an equal part of the kingdom of heaven and embraced them both equally. As one might expect, the brother who had been faithful in his years serving in the slums as a missionary was surprised. However, his surprise was a joyous one. He smiled deeply when he saw his brother. Today my joy is finally complete, he said, for we are together again Come, let us break 
bread together. He said, my joy is finally complete, for we are together again. Come let us break bread together. In our annual conference, as we prepare for whatever February may bring us with the way forward in the call general conference, we have been asked in each district to have uh, 10 or 11 folks that are being trained and equipped to go around and talk to local churches about what the way forward is, what this called general conference is. Uh, I have been asked to be one of those folks and I had a training this past Wednesday. Uh, the training helped me understand a little more about the three um, options that are being proposed uh, for, for February. It helped me understand a little bit about what that means and what could happen there. But it also allowed me to have time to dialogue with folks that I don't necessarily agree with. There are folks within our annual conference, there's about 80 or so of us that have been asked to be a part of this, this group of people that are willing to go out and talk to local congregations about what the way forward might look like. And the truth of the matter is, is that those of us in the room don't all agree. But what I saw this week was that I saw a group of people that were trying their best to be faithful. They were trying their best to be faithful to loving God and loving their neighbors. When we look at the second part of our passage today, um, there's a prophecy that Peter quotes from the book of Joel. When Peter starts, he said, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, it's really important to see that Peter uses that word all. When we think about the orientation or the reorientation that this passage gives us in the church, there's a very important opening that happens here that both men and women all are included in hearing this prophecy. This is a pattern that becomes a part of the book of Acts. There's an act of God and a response to that act. In this first act of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, the response is a prophecy. Young men and women will have visions. Old men and women will dream dreams. Slaves, both men and women, will have the Spirit poured out upon them. Not only is the inclusion for women and men but it is also for those folks that have been marginalized by the society. Even the slaves will prophesy. As I thought about this this week, I couldn't help but think about the fact that there are visions and dreams that I have and there are visions and dreams that you have. And together, Together as the body of Christ, we have the opportunity to hear the voice of God and dream the dreams that God has us dream together. And sometimes I need to hear your visions and your dreams. And sometimes you need to hear my visions and my dreams. And together, hopefully, we have a better opportunity of hearing more clearly the voice of God. So much of life, so often in life, uh, we, can, 
we can put our heads down and get in our lanes. I know that it is really easy. Once that syllabus has been set and we are oriented in a certain way, we got to get up at a certain time each day and the kids got to be at a certain place and we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we can have our heads down and our blinders on and we walk through life. Maybe we run through life on the way that we feel that we're being called and we're doing the best we can. And sometimes when we're doing that, we get bumped into by a friend or a neighbor and, and uh, we say something or they say something and we disagree and we don't see things the same way. And rather than looking for places where we can love each other, we disagree and we disagree in such a way that we hurt each other. Right now as a church, both Central and United Methodist Church, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to love God and love neighbor as our primary focus. Recognizing that even though we do all, even in this room, believe different things, that which we believe first and foremost, that God loves us and we are called to love each other, is most important. Unity, like Rob said, does not be, mean unanimity. Diversity does not believe, mean that when we come through the doors, we check those things that make us different at the door and, and not let those inform who we are. What it means is that my love for you is most important because God's love for each of us is most important. I'm not going to sit here and act like this isn't going to be hard over the next few months. We don't know what February is going to bring us, like Rob said last week, but what we do know is our call. Our call to love. Even though we are diverse and we are different. I want to close with one more story. Uh, Gandhi's grandson used to tell this story as a way of remembering his, his grandfather. There was a king, and in the king's nation, uh, he really wanted to answer one question. What is the meaning of peace? What is the meaning of of peace. And he had people, he scoured his nation and had people from all over come to his court and say, well, this is the meaning of peace or that is the meaning of peace. And none of the answers were quite what he was hoping for. Finally, one person came and said, there's a sage. There's a sage that lives in the mountains. You have to go talk to the sage. Because the king had talked to so many people, he was like, well, what's one more? He gathered his court and he went to the sage. He traveled. And when he got there, he looked at the sage and said, what is the meaning of peace? The sage reached over and handed the king a grain of wheat and did not say a word. The king, not wanting to look like he didn't know what was going on, took the grain of wheat and said, thank you so very much, and turned and went back to his kingdom. And when he got there, he put the grain of wheat in a box, and he kept the box, and he would open it every week, and he would look at it, thinking to himself, what in the world does this have to do with peace? And he would ponder this, and he did this for almost a year. And finally, he said, I don't care what I look like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble. I need to go ask this sage what in the world he meant by this grain of wheat. And when he did, he took it back. And the, he, he went up to the sage, and he opened the box. And he said, you gave me this grain of wheat. And I put it in the box for this last year. And every, I, I pondered it. And I could not figure out what in the world it had to do with the meaning of peace. The sage reached over, 
and took the grain of wheat out of the box and said, peace is just like this grain of wheat. This grain of wheat in a box does nothing. But if you plant this grain of wheat in the ground and you water it and it receives sun and nourishment, then it will grow a great harvest. He said, peace is the same way. If we receive the peace of Christ in our hearts and we lock it up there and we do not plant it in our lives each day with our neighbors, with strangers, with people we don't know, those that have the guise of Christ, then we are locking our hearts and it will not produce the harvest that God has called us to. Each day, you have the opportunity. Each day, you have the opportunity. How am I going to sow the peace of Christ in my life, in my neighborhood, with my family, with my coworkers, with people that I don't think like at all, with people that think just like me? That is our question. That is our call. How are we sharing the love of God as we love our neighbors? Amen.